So I went in February of 2012, and it was one of those things where you realize, oh, I can never go back. I mean, this is just perfect. I can, I can live like a, a king for $600 a month. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffee House in the heart of Alvin, Texas, and we're in season two of the podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who should be highlighted, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com. Today, we are again at the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the sponsors of the podcast. Texas Snowfruit is also a sponsor, and you can learn more about both of those businesses later in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Jim Bennett. Jim is a self-described full-time adventure traveler. Jim, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. We're excited to have you. We know we, uh, we met you initially when we first started the, the coffee house. It wasn't long after we were there. You started coming in. And of course, like everybody else, Jake and I always wonder, hey, what are they doing? Because you come in, sit down with your computer in the back and just start doing your work. Right. Yeah. I, I had been coming there. It was owned by another local. It was Rocket right? Boom. Right. right. Somebody had told me about that. I went there a few times and... I left forever, and when I came back, suddenly it wasn't there anymore. Totally new. You guys were there, and I've been heading there ever since. Um, Originally, I guess, uh, during the the COVID era here, I managed to pick up a little bit of work, and my family's from Manville. I stay out there sometimes with my elderly mom, who doesn't have cable television, much less uh, internet access. Oh, wow. I definitely use you, that yeah. at 1820. That's uh, why I hold up in your wonderful back yeah, area. We there. do have good internet when it works. Yep. Um, you so definitely you, do. So you said you grew up in Manville, but not a lot of people grew up in Manville. Yeah, that's true. What well, was Manville not, like when you were a child? So <laughs> we moved out there when I was nine years old, and the sign said Manville Population 101. Yeah. It was just the one little wooden elementary school. And a yeah. movies to go and a movies to go oh, rental place. No, oh, before no, that? No, no, wow. Way before that. There was there was a Catholic church, a Baptist church, the elementary school, and they were building the at the time brand new junior high. And uh yeah, I started in fourth grade out there. There was nothing out there but rice fields. Wow. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah I grew up on the on the border of Pearland and Manville, so I'm much closer to Pearland, but we had a Pearland address, Manville phone number. So, right. Yeah. yeah there wasn't a lot to do in Manville. That's for sure. <laughs> no, I went to Alvin high school. Of course there was no high school. Yeah. yeah. D- did you come from a, a big family? You're, you're actually Jim Bennett, the third, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to bring no, that up. No, no, <laughs> no, no, I am. It's um, not usually a point of conversation, but yes, my grandfather. I, I try to and, notice things. You yeah. know? Grandfather and father, uh, but our family, my nuclear family, it's just me. I'm an only child. My parents, uh, my dad's from Galveston. Uh, his family's from the Galveston area. My mom's from elsewhere in Texas, Gulf and New Gulf, if you have any idea where that is. Okay. No, I don't no, even really know, I where don't that know where that is. But uh, yeah, we're definitely Texans. Okay. Um, I never left the state until I was 18 years old. Okay. Wow. Okay. See, yeah. now you travel the world. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. making up for it. For Absolutely. Sure. So, so how long have you been an adventure traveler, as you put it? Uh, and I get that from your website. I know that's what you called yourself on there. So it just kind of became that. Um, I like that title, by the way. That's a cool title. Yeah. It, well, it's cool to be living it for sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what else to call myself. Uh, basically, in 2012, um, I, I've been uh, a few years before that. I took up skydiving. And okay. uh, that's one of many threads we could follow. But uh, skydiving, I became super interested in canopy piloting. Like oh, you yeah. can do all kinds of uh, kind of advanced things with your parachute. Yeah. That led me naturally to want to fly paragliders. Those guys can do crazy things. They okay. can actually go up. They can do all kinds of acrobatics. So I got my rating in 2010. Okay. And... Uh, I wanted to take vacation from work. I wanted to go somewhere for a full month and do nothing but fly paraglider every day. Wow. And my instructor, a guy from Utah, he was a tandem pilot in Nepal. And he said, February is perfect. The place is amazing. You can do really hard stuff, really easy stuff, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, it's incredibly gorgeous, and you can stay there super cheaply. So I went in February of 2012, and it was one of those things where you realize, oh, I can never go back. I mean, this is just perfect. Yeah. I, can, I can live like a, a king for $600 a month, and that's everything. All of your food, a, a guest wow. house, um, you know, occasional medical care if you need it. I mean, anything, everything for $600 a month. Wow. So I did come back, and I uh, stayed on a friend. I gave up my apartment, stayed on a friend's couch for a few months, just making money, putting the money aside. Sure. Because your intent was to go back somewhere. Yeah, yeah. To, to go back to Nepal, to Nepal and stay. Yeah. And at first, I was thinking six months. You know, I can save, save enough money to do that. And then eh, maybe a year. And I just never came back. Wow. <laughs> right. So basically, so, that's how it happened. So what is it about Nepal that, besides the cost of living, there's got to be more than that? Of course there is. I mean, first of all, the natural beauty is unparalleled. It's eight of the world's 14, 8,000-meter peaks. Okay. Are in Nepal. And Mount Everest is in Nepal. Everybody knows Mount Everest. It's right. probably not the most beautiful. Um, and for uh, um, alpine climbers, it's not the most difficult, but it's definitely the most famous. Okay. And it's the highest by a few meters. Um, it's just an incredibly gorgeous place. The culture is amazing. The people are incredibly kind and hospitable. And it's still, uh, because of the difficulty of the terrain, the, the development according to our standards is kind of I mean, it's taken a long time for it to become westernized and i mean that in a good way right mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's just a wonderful place to live and then i, I when i went back uh, finally to stay i had some amazing experiences that were kind of life-changing so yeah. that's nepal feels like home to me and still does okay okay so let's talk about home then so what is it that kind of what makes that feel like home to you? Because your home up until that, this point, I'm assuming has been Texas or America, which uh, is kind of. Well, uh, back up a step. So kind of, I guess the seed for all of this was planted. I got uh, a grant to study abroad back in 1989 called the Fulbright. And I was in Germany from 89 to 91. It happened to be when I got there, the wall was up. That's when, when I the left, wall the wall was, yeah. was down. So they took us... Uh, the Fulbright Germany people took us once a year to Berlin. Uh, I managed to get two of them back to back. 
Wow. So the first year we went, we had to go through Checkpoint Charlie. The wall was up. You know, uh, they detached the train when you when you hit uh, East German territory and hooked up a, a coal-powered engine. Yeah. Took us through. Uh, the second year, it was just all West Germany all the way through. That is fantastic. And walk across yeah. Checkpoint Charlie. It was an amazing time to be there. Just crazy. Yeah, that's got to be kind of a cool experience to have experienced it before and after the wall. It, it was. And I, I went back and I stayed and I was there also when they voted to unify Germany. Like, it was yeah. a huge thing whether they were going to, the Western Germans were going to pay taxes to right. to pull eastern germany into the fold it was a smart thing to do but at the time it was definitely wow. hotly contested <laughs> um it, it was just amazing and that was two years i i learned the language really well and i it was just a, a big game changer for me to have this perspective outside the united states to look at the united states from outside to get really intelligent first-person yeah. perspective and outside perspective about what the U.S. does and how they do it. And so it was, at that point, I knew that I was interested to to get outside yeah, So how, how young were you at this time when you're going to um, the... So I, it was like you had to complete a master's to get to that. I was, wow. I okay. was maybe 25 or 26, hmm. something like that. What a great experience to have at such a young age, though. It, it was. I, I mean... I'm absolutely privileged. It was an amazing thing to happen. Yeah, I talk to people now that are 25, 26 that have never been out of the state of Texas, and I'm yeah. baffled yeah. by it. I don't understand why you don't travel. Now, I'd love to travel. I will say I haven't done as much as you, but uh, I definitely I definitely enjoy it. I can see why the bug uh, got you, particularly with some of those experiences you've had early on. Right. Well, it's, it, it's all changed, too. The, uh, initially, it was still... You know, these are all Western countries I was in. I spent the two years in Western Europe, in Germany primarily. But these these places have a lot more in common with us than than different, right? right. The cultures, other sure. than the language, it's it's really really similar. And today, it's way more so than than when I was there. Right. But everything has kind of become this homogenous way of of doing things. It's same businesses even you see in all these places. Yes. And uh, it's definitely a different thing than what I'm doing now and what I experience now. Uh, the places I go, I try intentionally to stay as far away from kind of the Western empire as possible. Right. It's just more interesting to me and, and there are lots of reasons for it. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's an interesting thing to, to have those experiences. And I think that, I think a lot of people are going to hear you and go, wow, man, I'd love to do that. And go, but you can, but I can do that. You know, and, <laughs> And they put up their own roadblocks to... Yeah, but you found a way to do it, right? Well, you, you find it as you go along. It's really mostly the... It's hard to know how to enter into this conversation exactly, but people everywhere put up their own roadblocks for sure. Right, absolutely. And, we, we're, and it's not... I don't even place the blame with us so much. We're kind of taught from an early age that everything out there is scary. It's all, you know, it's hard... Forget the I can't afford it. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I have too many responsibilities. Forget that part for a minute. There's also the you know, all these places are dangerous. People still are asking sure. me every time I go, you know, aren't you afraid when you go to X, Y or Z? No, <laughs> still the, the most dangerous places I've been in the world and I've been to crazy places are American cities. 
Yep. And it's the place I, I, the only time I've ever been mugged, the only time I've ever wow. been robbed is in the United States of America. Um, I'm, obviously, it happens everywhere in the world. Sure, sure. Yeah. And the places I'm traveling, I tend to avoid big cities because big cities are everywhere kind of the same. They're, if you're looking for trouble, go to a big city. Well, let's, <laughs> right, uh, for sure. let's dive into a little bit more when we come back from our break. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Hi, this is Christina with Texas Snowfruit. We're a shave ice company located in Scopel Square in the heart of Alvin. Stop by and see us or visit us on our website at texassnowfruit.com. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, president and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. This week's marketing tip. What is SEO and why do you need to focus on it? SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization, and it's basically how Google and other search engines help people looking for services you offer find you. Obviously, Facebook, Instagram, and other social sites do a great job with SEO. But what can you or your marketing team do to get your site more easily found by those searching for you or your services? To be honest, it's a lot of work, but there are some specific things you can do to improve your visibility. It starts with you and your ability to know your potential customer, to know your specific business niche in the industry, and to know what search words or phrases your potential customers use in order to find you. For more information on SEO and some specifics you can do, visit our blog at 1820marketing.com slash blog. So before the break, you were talking about traveling to trying to stay away from the big cities. So let's, let's dive into how your, what is your mode of transportation when you're traveling? Uh, well, Recently, the most common way is by bicycle. Um, but I, really, anything is possible. Uh, backpacking, bicycle is the most common, though. Okay. Especially if I'm doing long distance uh, traveling. Like right before COVID, I had been in Africa for 26 months. My plan was to wow. go from Casablanca to Cape Town. But uh, you can do that relatively quickly if you're just trying to get from point A to point B. But I've never been very interested in that. So each time I would get to a country, I would just kind of look at the map and look for the tiniest roads and try to go as far in the interior wow. as I could. Wow. Um, sometimes you can't avoid the big city. You have to sort out where you're going to pick up your visa for the next country oh, right. or the next sure. countries. And so it's limited places you can go for that. Sure. But uh, my, my line from point A or my path from A to B was a, a crazy is never a straight line. zigzag and never <laughs> right. a straight line yeah so i i could have done my 26 months probably i could have ridden that whole thing in five or six but it's just not interesting to me right. it's way more interesting to get lost in the interior and really see how people live and meet people sure well you know i, I learned a long time ago when i like to travel that, that we've talked about it in the past there's there's one of two ways that you can travel for the most part you can go on vacation and try to do as much as you possibly can before you head home, or you can go and just take it easy and relax. What 
what I and my family like to do is we like to go and live like the locals do. And it sounds like what you're doing is the perfect opportunity to do that because you get to see how, when I go visit a town, I ask the locals, where do you go for dinner? Where do you like to go eat? I don't want to go to the touristy spot. I want to go where you like to go. Cause that's usually the best place. Sure. For sure. Uh, most of the people that I meet that are doing things similar to me, we talk about there being you can either be a tourist or you're a traveler. There's kind of the, I mean, of there course, it's all arbitrary yeah. what word you choose, but it, we're trying to travel as opposed to be tourists. And what you're saying is right. But I go, because I'm on the bicycle and because I choose these tiny little pathways, it's not, I can't even do what you're talking about. It's not like there's any place there for outsiders. Sure. You're, you're in a place where outsiders don't ever go. So right. it's, there's no other it's like, which restaurant do I go to? It's like, no, you eat from the, the, you know, there's the lady selling beans and rice and sandwiches on the street corner. That's where everybody eats if you're not eating in somebody's home. Right. Uh, in Africa, it's often, you, every time, every single day at the end of the day, if you're going to follow the local custom, you have to you get to a village, you ask to speak to the chief, and you ask for permission to camp. And usually the, the chief will say, Sure. Or he'll say, no, you have to stay and, you know, we're going to, we'll give you a room and they show you hospitality. And so you're eating with the family and, and doing whatever the family does in the evening. So how do you uh, deal with those language barriers? Uh, poorly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, um, uh, I learned a decent amount of French. I mean, my French is super limited and the grammar is bad, but I can, I can converse about anything I need to know about directions and uh, just a place to stay, food, um, really, really rough, like grammatically rough description sure. of who I am and what I'm doing. Uh, it depends on the country. So in, in Africa, I chose French because most of the countries I was going to be riding through were former French colonies. Uh, I was in one country that was uh, Portuguese, which is Guinea-Bissau, and uh, I didn't realize how much French I spoke until I left Guinea-Bissau again, and I was, whew, you know, I can at least express myself, basically. Um, basically, just figured out. Uh, I crossed Mongolia by bicycle in 2015. I didn't speak more than about three words in Mongolian, you know, hello, right. thank you, and... Uh, you, learn, <laughs> yeah, you learn really quickly that you can express almost everything that matters with body language and hand gestures anywhere in the world. You just can. You can express gratitude. You can. Uh, sure. People, people get it. You can get by. You just, that is a mental hang up talking about fears like we were earlier. People worry about that kind of thing. But look, generally in the world, people want to get along. They want to understand each other sure. they want to communicate yeah and they'll do whatever they have to to make it happen so as long as you're kind of open to it and relaxed about it, it it'll work yeah the, the thing i find funny is because when you were coming into the shop we were talking about it and then we started you mentioned that uh you had actually just been gone for so long that you decided to come home and visit your mom right uh and then you had planned on going back when COVID hit and so you were staying here local working to make money and eventually go back and be safe and everything else. But when you're over there, how are you, for lack of a better term, financing it? Like how are you surviving financially to be able to get it done? Right. Well, it's, uh, I'm making it up as I go along. Uh, I, all of it changed a little bit for Africa. So like I mentioned before, I had, I had saved up some before I went to Nepal the first time. 
that was enough to cover me for a year and a half or so. I came back to visit briefly, and a, a skydiving friend of mine gave me a little bit of work to do. I'm, I was a software developer before, so uh, every once in a while, former colleagues or people I know ask me to build them a website or just do something. Right. And it doesn't take much money to live over there, so you know I do a little bit of work, and it goes a long way. But I knew for Africa it was going to be a couple of years. That was the original plan. Yeah with no income. So uh, I I uh, put a profile on Patreon, if you yeah, know Patreon. Yeah, I'm familiar. And uh, sent out kind of a description of what I wanted to do to all my family and friends and former coworkers. And uh, I was really only trying to get about $600 a month, which I told you was right. what I needed in Nepal. And uh, I got it pretty quickly. And that's how I was living in Africa. It, it got up to, it got up a little better than that. Yeah. Uh, uh, was, I had about $1,000 a month, which for me is... Uh, Fantastic. Know, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not trying to make a profit on any of this. It's not why I'm doing it. Yeah. I just want to be able to keep doing it and putting the, putting the people I meet in contact or exposing the people I know here to the people I meet yeah. on the road. Uh, and... Yeah. So I, I was doing great. I mean, it was fantastic. But then COVID kind of has, uh, for a year, because I, obviously I don't want to be taking money from my patrons when I'm not actually sure. traveling or preparing to travel or something. Yeah. So I was pausing it every single month for 14 months, something Jeez. like that. And a lot of them dropped off because they were financially uncertain sure. because of COVID or, you know, just attrition for a year of sitting, sitting there. So I'm trying to build it back up again. But it's it's... Okay. Yeah. Well, and so pay. that kind of goes back to you. You talked about connecting the people that here, you know, here to the people, you know, there or meet there. And so you do that through your website. Yes. Well, I Among do other things through my <laughs> website, through, um, through Patreon directly, uh, through Instagram. My public Facebook page is probably the place that I most immediately when I'm on the road, um, Really, I, I travel, I meet these people, I take photographs of them, uh, talk to them, and I write little small stories about these yeah. mm -hmm. uh, the, the people I meet. And then I, I post these things initially on Facebook because it's the easiest and quickest and most people have access to it. Uh, and then I move it over to my website and, and try to expand on it with other like longer form writing, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I want to also say that's all coming out of the places I go back to here primarily. Although people everywhere in the world have Facebook. Everywhere right. in the world has <laughs> right. Instagram, obviously. But uh, one thing that's really important to me, a lot of people who travel, they're really just, they're taking. They're not giving anything. They, they go to these places, they meet people, sure, and they're friendly where they go, and they behave themselves, you know, comport themselves well. That's fine. But they're still, they're the ones getting the value out of the equation. I'm going to this really cool place, and I'm taking photographs, and those people don't get anything back usually. Right. So I've taken to um, what may be surprising everywhere, the tiniest, most remote village I've been to, there's at least one person that has a smartphone. It's just... <laughs> True. It may be the chief. It may be, you know, somebody who does yeah. business in, in the big That's, city, you know, huh. but somebody has one. So I always, I, I print up a bunch of cards before I go and I have a WhatsApp uh, sure. number that I give to everybody. So I go, I take their photos, say, all you have to do is send me a message and I'll 
give you all the photos I've taken of you. Wow, so that's fantastic. They get them back, which, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, uh, again, I'm not trying to make a lot of money off of it. And, and in some cases, I found out that it turned out to be a big deal to them. Uh, we can come back to Nepal, but the, the life-changing event that I spoke of, I went to a village in 2013. I was kind of sent there, and I was the first outsider to go to the village. It's kind of, you know, like a National Geographic wow. story. And I, I became, I've gone back many times since. Every time I went, I was taking photographs, and each time I would go back, I would print some out and take them with me. Oh, nice. And I found out years later that one of the young girls you know, that I'd been taking photos of. She's part of the family that I stayed with. Um, she took me into her room and showed me she had all these pictures up on the wall, you know, with other photos of her family, but it, it meant something. That's you know? very cool. So it's not, not like I'm giving uh, anything super huge back, but it's yeah. what I can give. And I'm, well, as a, uh, as a photographer myself, I'll say your photos are fantastic. So if somebody wants to see them, they can either go to Instagram, they can go to your website at transglobalist.com. Yes. Right. And all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, they're all at. Yeah. If you were just remember the word transglobalist. Transglobal. Yeah. Transglobalist. Then yeah. Uh, you'll find you me find on everything. And if you get to the website, all those links are on there too. So, yes. and, and your website, uh, your photos are fantastic. I love your stories. I love your photos. I think Thank you're you. doing a great job. Uh, I see that you, you, you even sell some of your prints. Uh, yes. And I'm, I'm trying to, to update that before I leave on my next trip. Um, just, uh, I, I started doing this when I was in Africa. So the only photos I have, it's a print on demand thing. Obviously yeah. with the kind of life I'm living and moving around, I can't really do all this myself. Sure. sure. So what I do is I found a really nice print on demand site that's, that's putting out nice, really high quality photos yeah, I agree. and whatever format that you want them in. Um, and I set up an initial gallery while I was in Africa but I only had the African originals with me, so I couldn't go back and, and upload any of the nicer photos from Nepal or Mongolia yeah. or India. So I have to do that and kind of organize it, and I need to mess with the pricing structure a little bit because it's all, yeah, I, I just haven't really done a lot of sure. it. But it's all there, and you can order it now. So tell me, the sales of these, do they go to help fund your travels, or do, does the money go somewhere else? Well, at the moment, I, I haven't, I haven't, um, it, it will all go to the travels and or I have I have kind of vague plans at the moment to do a couple of books that I can all the money would go back to the people that I'm going that to visit. That is fantastic. Uh, or and or some responsible charity that helps them. That's a that's a thorny question, though. I have a lot of trouble with NGOs uh, in the parts of the world that I go Their Their efficacy is dubious and sure. sometimes suspect which i've seen with my own eyes so i have to find the right the right uh, place to put sure. the money but the the money on this site uh, i think the the company takes the obviously the printing sure. costs in a five sure. percent or seven percent and the rest goes to me so um and yeah like i said it for me it's all going back yeah. just into traveling or occasionally uh, like upgrading camera gear or my bicycle or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah so are, are you taking in the photos that you're taking there are you finding points on your trip to upload them and get them off of your camera so that you can take more photos or do you just have a ton of flash drives uh, a, or both a, a little bit of both <laughs> so when i'm on the bicycle um 
it's a little trickier if I'm going to be gone a long time. I was in Africa. I just had a couple of external drives, and uh, every time I'd stop somewhere, I'd get everything off of my SD cards and onto the drives. And um, I was doing whatever I could. I uh, in Guinea-Bissau, for instance, I stayed a few days with uh, uh, some guys that work for the UN and UNICEF. And I, I just uploaded everything I had taken to that time to one of those guys' work computers because, you know, if yeah. something happened to me or somebody stole it sure. or it got damaged, yeah. at least it would be backed up somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I met some other cyclists in uh, Ivory Coast. And same thing, I gave them what I had done since I left Guinea-Bissau. That it's is just, fantastic. Just make it up as you go along. Man, you're right. People working together, just trying yeah. to help each other. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So I, I guess my first thought when I saw all the photos you were taking was, how do you charge your batteries? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Well, it, it depends on the country. And uh, in Africa, I didn't really have any trouble. Maybe it's a few days. Um, it, whatever problem you have, whatever problem you're trying to solve, they also have. So in Sierra Leone, for instance, it was amazing. Uh, really remote places. There's always, there's no electricity in some of the villages, but there's always one little shop with a generator and all they do is charge everybody's devices. Wow. So it's got the generator running during the day. You go pay them a few pennies yeah. and plug it in for an hour and go eat or hang out or do whatever and get your phone back. Or <laughs> I give them my power bank. You wow. know, and then I use the power bank to charge, to charge up in the night. Mongolia. <laughs> it's, uh, I've got some really great pictures. If it, oh, uh, we, I can, can, yeah. we can find them uh, of yeah. those charging stations. Do you really? Okay, yeah. I'm going to have to dig for those then. That's crazy. That's awesome. And I, I think... Uh, so what stuck out to me when you mentioned how the the girl showed you all the photos? Yeah, on and, the wall. And you were yeah. talking about how you're not really giving them anything, but to me, there's an emotional part to that. That she got something out of it. Uh, yeah, it's it, you're not financially going in and throwing money around, but those photos I think can make a lasting impact on someone because they they're able to see that. I mean, it's I love photography, and I love good portraits or you know just good photography so I, I think i think you did do something very great i would say blessed her and her family with those I, photos i didn't even know it was happening so when she she ushered me into her room and showed me this i was yeah i was definitely moved <laughs> that's fantastic it that's obviously beautiful. had uh, been important to her and that's i just hadn't thought about it like that yeah so and, you say your next travels when are you heading out again uh, about three weeks. I was trying to book the ticket yesterday. So I went through a long process. My plan was to go back to Africa, of course. I have, um, uh, as Dorian mentioned, I came back really just for two months. I was supposed to right. be here for February and March of last year. And left your bike there so you could get it when you went back, right? Right. It's all, all my gear. Except, I mean, I brought my camera, all the sure. you know, computer yeah. and all this stuff home. But I left a bicycle and the panniers, the bags for the bike yeah. and uh, my my old tent, everything I had is in Benin, which is the country one to the west of uh, Nigeria. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was planning to go right back. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. So um, I guess the good news is that uh, it was a really old bicycle, okay. 20 years old at the time. Um, you know, I mean, I, again, I, I live on very little money, so uh, it's, it's the old bike that I had that worked. Right. You know, I... Ever since I left the U.S., I've been using or buying used bikes for a couple hundred bucks and riding them until they fall, fall apart and getting yeah. another one. 
So uh, anyway, I was planning to go back to Benin and continue my journey. Then COVID happened and kind of readjusted. My initial Patreon pitch to everybody was Africa. It was all about Africa. So uh, I was still planning to go back to Africa. And as I was doing my last ride, which was through the southwestern U.S., just to get back on the bike and get people interested again and uh, get myself... uh, deal with my own mental health, right? Yeah. Getting out of the house. Sure. Um, I decided I was going to go to Namibia. They, their COVID policy was fine. Uh, it's three months with no problem. And uh, yeah, that was the plan. And when I cut short the Southwestern U.S. ride, I figured that would get me to Namibia in August, which is winter, it's the end of winter. So I'd be in the desert, but you know, I left when I ended this ride here, it was 104 degrees and... <laughs> oh, getting worse so oh, um, I was looking forward to the winter desert as opposed to the summer desert sure. uh, I started considering lots of things and uh, the round trip ticket I, uh, to factor into this briefly I also I'm trying now to come home at least every few months uh, just to make sure my Your mom family. is 92 sure. years old and uh, you know she lives with na- around neighbors who are basically family and everybody keeps an eye on her but you know, she's or 92, nothing, so I want to make sure. And nothing like family. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of them are. They've been there 20 years, and yep. they're, they treat her like family, and it would be crazy not to call them family. Uh, but I, I am now trying to come back more often, whereas before it was just I, I talk to her from wherever I am in the world all the time, make yeah. sure she's okay, but it's not the same. Sure. So it's three months, and then come back. It's $2,000 round trip, basically, for a three-month thing and I started looking into other options I really wanted to go to Iran Iran, Armenia Azerbaijan and leave from Georgia that was $800 round trip but wow. yeah, it was huh. fantastic and everybody I know everybody I know who's been to Iran and that's a lot of people especially on bikes they love it it's in their top two or three of really? every place in the world okay I would not have guessed that yeah, but yeah. people wouldn't and of course that's also a lot of kind of propaganda here political sure, stuff no, that goes course. on but uh, one of the most hospitable amazing places in the world because of various political differences uh, the only country in the world that where I where you couldn't travel solo in Iran it's Americans right now so I, I could go, no problem. You can get a visa, no problem. You have to go through the Pakistani embassy, but you can get a visa. It takes seven to eight weeks. And then when I get there, there's no guarantee that I'd be able to ride my bike without a guide. Wow. So it just wasn't worth it. I didn't know with the timing it was going to take yeah. a long time. So sadly, I pushed that one off. Um, there was a guy I met on this U.S. ride from Uganda. He's from South America, but he's studying gorillas in Uganda. Wow, okay. And I made contact with him, and I, I thought I'd go to Uganda. That was 800 round trip. It gets me back to Africa. And there was an amazing backcountry ride that I found uh, in Uganda and Rwanda. And they initiated a policy because of the Delta variant that you couldn't move between districts within Uganda I think that's supposed to end in about 10 days, maybe. Okay. But right. again, it was an uncertainty. So um, I guess, long story, not quite as long. I, I ended up, I went down to uh, Mexico just to get some dental work done. And I thought, you know, I've never really gone south. It's, it's a weird thing. I'm from Texas. I've been to Mexico City, and that's as far south as I've ever been in this right. hemisphere. And uh, so I'm going to go to Mazatlan. Uh, 
wow. roughly the 15th of August, and I'm going to, there's a really nice Trans-Mexico ride, uh, which will exit into Guatemala, and I'll finish in Guatemala City. Okay. I'm hoping, again, the, the same, I told you I stayed with the UNICEF guy yeah. in uh, Guinea-Bissau yeah. that I uploaded my photos to. Well, his family's from Guatemala City. So <laughs> I'm hoping I can leave my bike there, come spend the holidays with my mom and friends here and make yeah. sure everything's okay, and then fly back right after the first of the year and continue through Central that's and South fantastic. America. So you're going to go South America? That's that's wow. currently the plan. And again, awesome. all this kind of depends on my mom's health, but that's my plan at the okay. moment. Well, I think okay. listeners would be upset if I didn't ask you, how many countries have you been to? You know, I, I honestly, I don't know the count. Since, what's, a, what's a rough estimate? <laughs> uh, maybe... 45 or 50. Wow. Okay. But wow. I, I don't. So, you know, when I was living in Germany, obviously I went to every country in Western Europe because I sure. was there and it's you right. just hop on a train. And, and why would you not? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, also, I was young enough to get the super cheap train pass. So you get a month and you can get on the train and go everywhere you want for okay. very little money. Um, so I've been all over Western Europe, a little bit of Eastern Europe. And then what really matters is kind of where I've been since 2012. And yeah. that's. Uh, there's 13 countries in Africa. It's, I, I think it's about 23 or 24 places where I've spent at least a month or two months. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I do. I, I don't, yeah. I don't like to, I, I don't really count a place. You, uh, I've been in the airport or I, right. you know, like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, no, same thing. Um, and most of the places I've been since 2012, I've been there long enough to really have a sense of what the yeah. place is like. Wow. So that's crazy. Well, that's awesome. Last question I have for you before we close up here is, had you not come home when you did right before COVID hit, how would things be different for you? It's an interesting question. I, I've been asked this a lot, and I honestly, I wouldn't have come home. I would have stayed in Africa. Um, and it, again, so it was, it was, it became problematic in South Africa, but I was in West Africa at the time, and I just spent these two years riding everywhere I rode. You see signs, uh, Ebola, right? Yeah, uh, there had been a huge crisis, and people, despite what you might hear uh, on the news here, uh, people were pretty open to the idea of uh, even before I left, when it was COVID was kind of a non-thing. There had been one case in the United States when I got on the airplane. Already, there were public service announcements in West wow. Africa about being careful, um, following kind of Ebola protocols, and staying you know just washing your hands, uh, not going into crowded spaces. And I, I would have stayed. I, I just, I think they were more, they took seriously the idea that a pandemic was possible. And I wanted to be there anyway. Right? Yeah. Um, I had to, I, I got locked in a room with somebody for you know, really good friends, but I was locked in a room for five months uh, at, when the lockdown happened. And I could have done that there as well as here yeah. right i mean yeah. I, I i wasn't near my mom uh, she was really really afraid of everything at first obviously and yeah. with, with uh, her age group she was the reason the, to be sure yeah the bad sure. demographic yeah. so uh you know she's the one that asked me don't come home stay in dallas with friends where i was uh so dallas africa mm. <laughs> <laughs> so tough choice yeah, yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for all of our listeners, if you want to follow Jim's travels, you can visit all the socials, but uh, transglobalist.com. 
will see the longer blog post and then you can also find his social media there as well. Go check him out. There's a Patreon, like he said. I don't think that's on the website, but just go to Patreon and search for Trans Globalist. And uh, it's not a lot to support Jim and his travels. So it's a great opportunity for you to give something back and create, continue creating community. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, we'd love to talk to you about it. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcast. Show notes and more is available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with a new episode.